So it's good to see you. Uh, we missed you. Uh, truly, we really did. Or I should say, I started missing you about halfway through vacation. I needed just a couple of weeks. Um, we had, I hope you had a good summer break. Did you? Yeah, okay, good. You're lying if you're not, right? Uh, we had a good summer break. Um, there seems to be something, though, strange about this summer for me, and I don't know what it is. I've tried to, I can't explain it. It's just there. I even brought it up with my wife before our vacation. I said, honey, it's just so weird that I feel so energized right now at the beginning, at the end of a ministry, a whole year. I'm like, I'm about ready to go on vacation. I think it was maybe the, the next day. She's like, are you excited to go on vacation? I'm like, honey, I'm still so energized to watch the gospel work. And I can't explain it. It's just there. Um, have I ever felt this way before, honey? No, you have not. Came a little too enthusiastically, a little too quickly. I'm like, so I've really been, you know, that kind of person beginning vacation. And it's, yeah, you're really that kind of person. Uh, I can't explain it because my neck isn't healed. It's gotten better, but it's not healed. I mean, I'm still an average husband. I'm not like Gilbert Lino. <laughs> I still complain about mon money, especially the first Monday of every month when I have to pay the bills. I'm still that weird, simultaneously sinful and justified pastor. I'm not a super sane or a celebrity pastor. I just can't explain it but it's there. There's this energy to watch God work, to God watch God work in our lives, to watch God work in our homes, to watch God work in these communities, to watch God work in your schools, to watch God work in your job and at work, to watch God work in messy relationships, and you had to watch God work at the annoying Karens at work and the culture warriors at Baylor, even all these annoying people, I'm excited to watch God work in these places. Many times, though, after vacation, people will come out to me and say, hey, Jeff, how do you know, you know, like really know that you're back in it, that you're back in the groove of ministry? You know, like when you're back to all the glamour of ministry. You're back to all the love and adoration of ministry. You're back to all the high finance salary of ministry. How do you know when you're really back at it? Now, I don't know. I mean, this is my way I know. Just for me personally. I mean, pastors all over the spectrum could have their ways. Colin, you probably have your way of knowing when you're back way. You have the way of knowing that you're back. Here's my indicator that I know I'm back into the group, <laughs> that I'm back in ministry, on my second day back, Tuesday, Nancy, Nancy's car doesn't start. Now, this is one of our new cars, right? It's one of our cars we finally got into the 2000s with, the kind of car that you're trying to avoid these kind of things. I mean, even my mechanic of 22 years, Ray, Tony Leffert, I had the car towed to his place, and this is what he says to me. looks me in the eye and says, Jeff, remind me never to take you to Vegas. <laughs> so that's Tuesday, my second day back. Wednesday would be what? Go into my truck, 
My truck doesn't start. It's dead. So you ask, how do you know, Jeff, that you're back to the glamour of ministry? Uh, That's how I know. That's how I know I'm back. All right, so it's a Redeemer tradition to give you some summer break highlights. Those of you that are just joining us, those that have been here for a while, I've been doing this for 20-something years. So I give you some highlights, maybe some lowlights. They're all mixed in together. So I'm going to start with highlight number one. This is clearly highlight number one. There, it, 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 there's nothing that even compares to it. It might be like the number one of all time, Brent Bankston's resurrection from the dead. Where is he? He's in a Comic-Con. He's working. All right, so who hasn't heard the story yet? Okay, well, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but basically I get a call um, that Brent is in an accident, and it's really bad. And I immediately call Lee. She's on her way to the emergency room, and she's like, Jeff, it's bad. It's bad. And I look at Nancy, and she starts crying. Uh, We start packing up. We're in Colorado. I said, just pack everything up. We're going home. Um, Miraculously... Uh, the seatbelt, he's uh, diabetic, and so he doesn't know when it happened, but next thing he knows, he's rolling. And when they found him, the seatbelt rips. If the seatbelt would have kept him in place, he'd be dead. Seatbelt rips in the midst of the rolling, which throws him out of the way so he doesn't get crushed. Uh, There is no replacing a Bankston in the hat and heart. So his resurrection from the dead, highlight number one. Number two, Karen Kemper, let us stay at her place in Rico, Colorado. Has anybody been to Rico? It's near Telluride. Yes. If you've been to other places in Colorado, you haven't seen Colorado until you've gone to Telluride. I've been all over Colorado. I was like, wow, this place is breathtaking. It's so breathtaking that every time we were in the car, Nancy's like, honey, 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 please keep your eyes on the road. I was like, oh, my Oh, my. We are just every. Look at this. And she's freaking out, ready to grab the steering wheel over and over again. Ty, was that not what was happening? Yes, it was. Uh, Beautiful. Sometimes when you see beautiful places and you walk around beautiful places, what do they do to you? They put you back together again. Amazing place. Words don't do enough to describe that place. So we're so thankful for that. Highlight number three, relaxed time with the family. Uh, Not just time with the family, relaxed time with the family. You know what kind of time that is, relaxed time? That means there's no schedule, no phone, no appointments, no agenda, no emergencies except for Brent. None of that. It's just doing things together, enjoying things together, talking together about stupid stuff, not end-of-the-world stuff like we've been doing for the past two years. Being bored together. Home is home. That is a clear highlight. I had something else I was going to say, but I'm not. I'm going to go to highlight number four. Uh, and it happened last night. Uh, throwing the football with Ty in the evenings. I mean, just being able to go out in the backyard. Dad, you want to throw the football? No. Throwing and talking, throwing and talking, throwing 
and talking. There are very few solid joys in life. Very few. This is one for me. Um, I want to thank all the incredible staff for being incredible, all of y'all, seriously. I mean, Amanda reaches me in Colorado before they're eat, Brent's even in the emergency room. Uh, and she does things, so many things, serving you, serving the staff that are unseen and seen. Uh, one is she's an incredibly friendly face to be the one that greets you and helps us uh, administrate the church. Emma, <laughs> Emma crushes Vacation Bible School. Crushed it, right? She crushes it, and she loves our kids so well, and she's always coming up with new things, and it's happening. We're going to do new stuff this fall. Uh, tremendous heart for ministry, tremendous heart for our kids. Really passionate for our kids. TJ, TJ leads music, sound team, all of us in song and music each Sunday. But TJ does it, and if you don't know this yet, he does all these different teams very pastorally, very relationally. I mean, the team wants to be on the team. That's not always been the case. People want to do this because he's so relational and pastoral. Laura, she crushes the bookkeeping, so much so that the Sonola cartel wants her now. <laughs> I guess something about laundering money. I don't know. But this is what's interesting about Laura, because usually you get a bookkeeper, you have those kind of skills, but you don't get the visional skills, you don't get the grace skills, <laughs> you don't get the friendship skills, and she adds all of that into the mix too, which is amazing. And then Colin, I mean, what can I say about Colin? Colin is the best right-hand man on the planet, incredibly competent, truly. But even more than that, he is a loyal friend. One of our goals this year at the podcast, this is our goal. I had a friend of mine used to say, listen, if you set your goals low enough, you'll hit them every time. So this is one of our major goals, to offend more people this year. <laughs> That's what we are really after on the podcast this year. And a special thanks to all the incredible preachers this summer, Mark Roberts, Matt Turnbull, Colin Coates, great preaching this summer. Can't tell you how important it is for me to know that you get good news, not good advice. And these guys gave you good news, not good advice. Okay, so what are we going to do today? What are we going to do next week? And then what are we going to do this fall? Today, it's a one-off. It's a short passage, 11.1 in Hebrews Small topic, what is faith? We're going to do that in a minute. Next week, we're going to wrap up the summer prayer series. We're going to look at Psalm 46, probably. That's where I'm kind of leaning. Uh, the fall, we're going to do two books in the Bible simultaneously. Those of you that were here last year have been with us for a year now. We did um, Judges and Galatians, first time in Redeemer history, to do two books at the same time. So we're going to do that again because for me, I don't know how beneficial it is for you, but for the preacher, it's incredibly beneficial. It's incredibly beneficial to walk into the world, the world of God working in a world, and then to go to another book that just clearly tells you what's going on in that world. 
Now, what are we going to do? What are the two books? I'll tell you next week. <laughs> Not going to tell you today. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Please stand for the hearing of God's word, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated, O Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you work in your word. Thank you for this time. Speak us back to life again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what is faith? What is faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is faith? It's not reassurance. I want you to look. Let's, can we put that back up? There we go. I want you to look at things hoped for, things not seen. Do you see those two things? So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, uh, the conviction or the assurance of things not seen. So assurance and conviction are the same thing. So it's the assurance of things hoped for, things not seen. Hebrews, do you see the connection to faith of things hoped for, things not seen? Got it? Those two things. What's happening here is that the Bible is saying, Hebrews is saying, God is saying that faith is connected to these two places. Place number one, faith is connected to place number one, things hoped for. That means there are not hope, there's not hope in that place. So faith, the first place that faith is connected to is hopeless places. Places where hope is not. Places without hope. Places that are in need, places that need assurance. What's the second place? Things not seen. So that means things that are not present, things that are absent, things that are missing. Places of need, places of assurance. So unseen places. So faith shows up in two places, hopeless places and unseen places. So faith cannot be reassurance. Why, you ask? Because reassurance does not have the power to reach hopeless places and unseen places. So I have a Peloton. Got it during the pandemic. Got it because oh, the first thought about my next stuff was that, man, you're pounding, the pounding over the years, maybe that, and you're fighting, and the violent sports you played, it's all just kind of coming to get you now. Uh, so no running. So I said, all right, no running. I got to do something aerobically to get a Peloton. I had, some of y'all had Pelotons. Jim Taney has one. Everybody's trying to talk me into it. Listen, low impact. You can still be, you know, intense on it. You can still get your cardio and your core. All right, great. Got a Peloton. Um, each class has an instructor. Of course it does, right? So far, so good. Uh, I'm good with instructors. I'm good with coaches. I've had coaches my whole life. Good with that. As long as they stay in their lane. Right? As long as they stick with their expertise. So when you take a biking class, what kind of expertise do you want? You want biking expertise. So I don't mind when they reassure me with stuff like, Hey, this workout will improve your cardio. Fantastic. You can tell me that all day. Hey, this workout will strengthen your core. Great. I'm reassured. Please tell me that anytime you like. This interval will feel like you're, like you're walking or sticking in mud, but keep going. You can do it. Fantastic. Tell me that all day. But I do not want you reassuring me about like, hey, man, 
you matter. <laughs> hey, man, you know, you, you can be whoever you want to be. <laughs> man, people, you community out there, you can do whatever you want to do. Okay, I want to be six foot four, 250 pounds, and I want to play middle linebacker and run a 4.1 for the Dallas Cowboys. And in the offseason, I want to be the best MMA fighter in the world. I matter. I don't want some life coach reassuring me that my life will get better. I don't want someone telling me that my circumstances will get better. I don't want someone telling me my relationships will get better. I don't want someone reassuring me that the world will get better. How do you know? Do you see into the future? Even more importantly, do you control the future? Are you just going to dismiss my pain and my suffering and my distress and my messy whatever's going on? Are you just going to dismiss it? It'll get better. How do you know? These two places, do you see it? Hoped for, things hoped for, things not seen. These two places tell us empirically, propositionally, experientially, Faith is not reassurance. Reassurance has no power to reach those places. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is faith? Well, it's not self-assurance. I mean, let's get incredibly obvious. Let's look at assurance, which means conviction, or look at conviction, which means assurance. You see it? Okay. I'm going to state the obvious. The text is not saying, now faith is the self-assurance of things hoped for and the self-conviction of things not seen. What is self-assurance? What self-assurance is, is that self-assurance thinks it can create hope. What self-conviction or self-assurance says down here is that it thinks it can bring the unseen into being. This is why we try to create our own genders. Because it's our hope. And we think we are self-assuring people. And that we can self-assure these things into being. This is why we try to control our circumstances. Because good circumstances are our hope. And we think we can self-assure them into being. By the way, how do you know that if you're trying to control your circumstances? Here's how you know. You have overwhelming emotions you can't control because you're out of control. Well, what would be some of those overwhelming emotions, Jeff? Well, I like anger, anxiety, blame. Now we're all uncomfortable. 
Self-assurance is also why we try, to, we try to bring the unseen things in our life into being. Well, what would be some of those unseen things? Like you try to bring love into being. You try to bring joy into being. You try to bring meaningful connection and relationships into being. That's self-assurance. Well, how do we try to do that? Well, one of the ways we try to do that is we're constantly trying to figure things out. I mean, why can no one take a break? Constantly trying to figure things out. What's interesting in Romans 8, when Paul talks about the, the, the reality of the zombie mind, which we'll look at later, he says this mind is constantly thinking, striving to control life. It can't stop. It can't stop. So we constantly try to figure things out. That's one of the ways we try to bring the unseen into being. The other ways we are constantly like trying to be better, do better. We're always trying to fix things. We're always trying to perform better, be more lovable, be more acceptable, visualize it, reimagine it. Come on. We do this even in our relationship with God. We try to bring faith, whatever it is, because we haven't defined it yet. But whatever it is, <clears throat> we try to bring it into being. <laughs> we try to make it happen. Now, let's say, I don't feel close to God. Well, we try to bring that into being, a closeness to God into being. We try to bring feelings for God into being. We try to bring joy and relationships into being, meaningful community into being. We try to bring a mission into being. We try to bring ministry into being. We try to bring changing lives and changing homes and changing cultures and changing communities into being. That's why we're so toxic. Because we're so manipulative. Our relationships become so transactional, so conditional. Faith is not self-assurance. Self-assurance has no power to reach the hopeless places in you or your home or your marriage or the culture. Self-assurance has no power to reach the unseen places in your relationships, in your kids, at your job, in your own personal emptiness. What is faith? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of seeing things not seen. What is faith? It's right there, right? Assurance. What is faith? Assurance. No, 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 Jeff, seriously. What is faith? Assurance. Not reassurance. Not self-assurance. Assurance. Don't miss this. Faith. Faith has the only power to go to hopeless places. Faith has the only power to reach unseen places. This is incredible. Why should you care about faith? Why is faith significant? Why does faith do things? 
Why is faith so necessary? Why does even the Bible say wherever there's not faith, there's actually the opposite, which is sin? Why should we care about faith? Because Hebrews is asking you, the writer of Hebrews, the Bible is asking you, God is asking you, this is why you should care. This is why it's so significant. According to this passage, according to this book, according to this place, according to you right now, this is why. Where? The Bible is asking you. Right now, God is asking you, where are you losing hope? That's where faith shows up. Where have you lost hope? God says, that's where faith shows up. Where is there so many things not seen in your life, in your marriage, in your children, in your home, in your heart, in your relationship with God, at school, on the job, wherever you are at whatever age? Why should you care? Because God says, that's where faith shows up. Many of us right now there are objecting, though. I know many of us are thinking, because this is what I was thinking when I got to this point in thinking about this sermon. How can this be, though? I mean, if faith is assurance, am I just supposed to reach into some magical hat in my life or in my heart or in some discipleship manual or some unverbless prayer technique or some special anointed individual or some church tradition? Am I supposed to just all of a sudden reach into these things and pull out assurance? The answer to that is no, of course, because that would be self-assurance. Okay, great. I still don't get it. Do you get it? The assurance of Hebrews and of the Bible and of God is this. It's just so breathtaking because it's so crazy. I think I'm going to keep going inductively, which means I'm just going to lead you along. When you get to this point right here, this is 11.1. There are 40 verses after this before we get to the answer in chapter 12. Isn't this incredible? There are 40 verses that go like this. By faith, so-and-so did By faith, and it goes through the whole string of biblical history, a whole hall of heroes, all these people that were all like, gosh, man, I wish I had faith. like." And it's like, by faith, they did bop, 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 bop. And then it gets to 12. And it says this in 12, 40 verses. Therefore, in other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I just gave you a list of all these people that had faith. They all had this assurance. Somehow they had it. And this is all the incredible things that they did. I told you that. Boom, boom, boom. Therefore, here's my point of it all. Run. Okay, thanks, dude. I just, I just saw 40 verses of people running. I get that. How do we run? How do we live this Christian life? Where does this assurance come from that's so reaching, hopeless places, unseen places that meets me in Wherever I'm at in my messes and my relationships, the church, the culture, where though, how though, and the writer says, by looking to Jesus, of course. The founder and perfecter of your faith. God is not waiting for you to get it figured out. 
He gave you Jesus. God is not waiting for you to fix it, to do something, to activate something. He gave you Jesus. God is not waiting for your circumstances to change. He gave you Jesus. God is not waiting for you to feel it. He gave you Jesus. The assurance of the Bible, the assurance of Hebrews, God's assurance is Jesus. Faith is assurance. The assurance of Jesus, the sure one. Still not feeling it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What's the most hope? In the ancient world, what was the most hopeless places on the planet? Do you know what they are? In the ancient world. If the ancient world, you walked up to somebody and you say, man on the street, hey, dude, what's the most hopeless place on the planet? And they would 100%, no matter where you're Roman, Greek, Babylonian, Persian, Assyrian, Galatian, barbarian, they'd say, the most hopeless places on the planet are wherever the gods forsake you. The Romans said it this way. They believed that that place that is the most God-forsaken place on the planet is the cross. The cross means if you're on the cross, you're a horrible person. <coughs> the cross means... You are unworthy person. You are a nothing person. You have so offended the gods. You have so sinned against the gods. You are so despicable and broken all the laws of God that nobody can even look at you, that they can mar you, and that you can become less human because you're not even a human because you cease to exist. You're a nothing on the cross. You're forsaken. And the Bible goes, correct. The Bible says it this way, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed means God forsaken. Forsaken by God. That is the most hopeless place on the planet. On the cross, Jesus is forsaken by God for you. Jesus becomes the forsaken place so that you will never, ever, ever be in a hopeless place again. Because he walks on the cross into the land of hopelessness and he goes, I will take Hopelessness to me. He's your assurance in hopeless places because there are no more hopeless places for you because he's there. Still not feeling it? Okay, it's fair. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. The unseen 
became seen. <laughs> the unseen became seen once and for all, forever and ever, the moment his eyes flashed open in the tomb. And everything that was unseen is now seen. The risen one is seen. There are no more unseen places for you because the risen one has walked into every unseen place and turned the light on. You say, but you don't know my sin, the risen one. You don't know my mess, the risen one. You don't know my brokenness, the risen one. You don't know my overwhelming emotions, the risen one. Because faith is assurance, and assurance is Jesus. It's not about how much you have. It's actually not about you at all. Faith is the assurance of a risen one, the sure one. The one who became hopeless. So you never would be. So I asked this morning, what is faith? The text does, right? Well, we've answered it. It's certainly not reassurance. You matter. Oh, man. I want to take one of those live courses. I want to go to New York City. I want to go in and I want to be in the, in the, like, the room. And I just want to say some things like, no, I don't matter. How do you know? <laughs> no, I can't make my mind trigger my glutes. Just can't do it. And neither can you. Faith is not reassurance. Faith is not self-assurance. Faith is assurance. The assurance of the risen one. The assurance of the hopeless one in your place. So, what are you going to do, church? What are you going to do this fall? What are we going to do this fall? Oh, we're going to make faith happen. <laughs> we're going to make mission happen. Now, we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and watch it happen. Amen.